what most people think. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of What Most People Think and I hope that you are listening to this either already in the process of enjoying the Jubilee and by enjoying I mean drinking yourself into a stupor. Uh, if you haven't recognised this as the once in a lifetime opportunity for some serious drinking then you've really missed out. I've been conditioning my liver and kidneys, just working them up, getting them up to sort of like altitude training. You know, you know, like when it was, was it Mexico 86 when the England team went out there early just to get to used to, to playing so high above sea level? I've been doing that with drinking and I hope that it's just the most British thing ever, isn't it? To just drink to celebrate. And uh, God, God bless, God bless Her Majesty, 70 years, the absolute goat the greatest of all time, the Queen. Uh, we've got brilliant guests today. We have got uh, Diane Spencer, the comedian, and Kevin Shepherd, who are, get this, a husband and wife comedy duo. There's a few of them in comedy, but it's a fantastic thing where people who work in comedy have got together. And uh, there's so much I want to talk to them about. Diane, you, a lot of you will have seen her doing regular slots on uh, GB News, on Headliners and Ministry of Offence. And, uh, you know, you know, be I think just simply being a female comic who's willing to go on those shows makes her a very interesting and, and, and bold performance. She's you know, a fantastic comedian. And Kevin, who is also a comic, but also directs shows. I know, some of you will be going, what's... It's just comedy. It's just telling jokes. No, when it gets up to the Edinburgh Fringe, mate, there's directors. And uh, I'm looking forward to chatting to them both about uh, the state of comedy and all things uh, in between. Uh, before that, we will have a short catch up uh, on the politics, on the old politics. There was a mini budget. Uh, don't call it a mini budget. And there was a windfall tax, but don't call it a windfall tax. So we'll talk about Rishi going back to playing the hits. Uh, but before all that, we've got new Patreons. We've got a VIP Patreon. And you will always get your shout out at the very top of the show for the VIPs. We have got Helen McPherson Humphreys. Now, Helen, I don't know where the double barrel in your name comes from, whether it's one of the old ones, you know, where it just came down with two great families uniting, the McPherson Humphreys. Uh, or or you've gone you've gone like modern like you know I don't know if you're a bit feminist uh, Helen but that is a lot of syllables that is a lot of syllables for your kids and then as I say you know with the double barreled names if your kids then get married to uh, a Wilkinson Robinsons you'd then be the McPherson Humphreys Wilkinson Robinsons I mean they're just just everyone will end up sounding like a legal practice so uh, but welcome to the show and as you know as is guaranteed for your the price of your patronage is that I will insult you, and I've done that quite thoroughly, uh, but I uh, appreciate the support. Uh, Domain Talking Point, David Domain, who came back off holiday, and he had loads of good points about a lot of things. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm the lucky one. I get to read the whole email, but I've just focused on one point here that I raised in the episode with Tom Walker, a.k.a. Jonathan Pye, but I raised the point uh, to Tom uh, in my efforts to kind of combat the, the overwhelmingly left-wing feel of what he was saying, is that food banks, uh, you know, have been around a while and they're not just in Britain. And then that was something that surprised me. I don't know why. I just thought we were the only country with food banks. But David Domain lets us know that the third, first food bank in modern form was started in the US of A in 1967 in St. Mary's Bank. Uh, and the 1980s saw the first in Europe, in France in 1984, Italy in 1989, 
And Expatica reports that in Belgium, food banks were serving 121,000 people by 2012. BBC News states that in 2014, 1.5 million people each week used food banks in Germany. I know, I know. There's just this thought, isn't there, that in this country, that we think the Germans, they've got all their shit sorted out. They don't do, do stuff like this, the Germans, you know? Okay, just a quick thank you and a fuck you before we get on the politics section. Thank you to everyone who came to the Wimbledon uh, show, the tour shows last week. I did Maidenhead on a, on the Friday, my third sold out show in Maidenhead. There must be something about the Tory stronghold of Maidenhead. I don't know. I don't know what it could possibly be. Uh, and then I was in Spalding uh, on Saturday, and I would say that the people of Spalding really have lost control of their women. I'm sorry. I know you shouldn't say their women or the women. Um, too much, a lot of shouting out, a lot of what I call Pinot Grigio filters where people have suddenly thought, you know that thing where you just think, oh, I've had a thought in my head. Maybe I won't say that. But I think sometimes you get the ladies on the Pinot Grigio, they go, I should say everything in my head continually. Um, but thank you. It was a fun show, that one. And then on Sunday, the big one, the final day of the UK leg of the tour was at Wimbledon Theatre. And genuinely... That was it was it was such a pleasure, man. Like some things in life, you think, how's that going to feel? How's it going to match up? And it felt like as good as I thought it would. Just walking up to that theatre, uh, going, oh, it's me tonight. It's me. And and the thing was, I didn't I didn't fill the room in the end, but it, I can't. That was already the fourth London date of the tour, so I was already pushing it a bit. But we had a very good number in there, and it was a wicked crowd, man. And uh, I did the book signing afterwards, and then went, walked across the road. This is this one a, a career highlight. Is uh, I walked into the Weatherspoons, and I got a cheer walking into the Weatherspoons. The only other time I've got a cheer walking into a pub was when I was late to a stag do. Uh, so that that was nice. So thank you to everyone that came to that. And of course, you can now see the show for the last time. This show, I blame the parents at the Edinburgh Fringe, which I will give you more info on later. And just a quick fuck you to the people getting shitty about the Jubilee. I mean. The prob- All right, you don't like the monarchy. Okay, good, you're well done. Why do you want so much credit for it? It's, it reminds me of that period in the noughties, you know, when Richard Dawkins' book came out, when people seem to think they deserve a fucking Pride of Britain award for not believing in God. Now you get people like, I just, it's just totally lost on me, all this monarchy stuff. I just, I just, I mean, I just couldn't care less. Yeah, couldn't care less to the point where you're writing about it. I mean, what what is the... What is the negative upshot of this? Is what you have to look at a few flags for a while. You get a couple of days off. There's a couple of royal documentaries on telly. Well, I don't know if you've seen Channel 5. That's literally all there is. Just suck it up, okay? And say that there's a woman there who's done a job for 70 years. And yes, maybe she has had the royal arse wiper. Do you know what I mean? Maybe she does have a person bringing her a gin and tonic every night. But she's done a job for 70 years. And some of her kids are fucking wrong and... Her husband was, you know, reputedly paying about, but she's done the job and she's never moaned. So just quit your fucking whining and have, have, raise a glass of gin and tonic in, in honour of our majesty, the glorious queen of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and the Falklands and some other places. OK, let's have a quick chat about the politics. Right, so we had the mini-budget last week, which was a mini-budget. And basically, Rishi has gone back to playing the hits, hasn't he? He's gone back to playing the hits. He tried a bit of fiscal responsibility, and everyone that pissed everyone off. So he's sort of gone back to... It's like when Radiohead did Kid A. Do you remember that weird experimental album after OK Computer? He's, he's tried his Kid A album, and he's gone, fuck it, I'm going back to playing like stadium rock. 
<laughs> he's just spunking money, spunking money everywhere. And lo and behold, yes, it, all these announcements, all this help for, you know, energy costs and pensioners. And it did come a day after Partygate. But that's politics, right? That's why you win elections. It's, it's why you want the levers of power. And you get people... And I mentioned this on the uh, Patreon only podcast, but you get people like Alistair Campbell talking about, well, this, this is just so cynical. This is just so, yeah. Yeah, it's politics out. You, do you remember you used to do that, Alistair Campbell? Do you remember, you, do you remember that you were Alistair Campbell? Because you don't talk like a man that remembers who he was. But, you know, the, to- the interesting thing was that the Tory plans went way beyond the Labour one. So the scale of the financial help, and this happened constantly or frequently with furlough, is that the Tories ended up being more left-wing than Labour. And that was the point I was repeatedly making about the windfall tax, um, is that it, was, it didn't represent a great amount of help. What the Tories have done is literally gone, we're going to put that money in your fucking skyrocket, mate. They're literally, we'll back you the money. Send me your deets. That's what the Tories have said. Send me your deets. I'll put that money straight in your account. And look, you know, there's been some debate about whether people on a budget, what will happen to that money, if you was very right-wing, you'd say, oh, well, they'll just spend it on fucking fake tan and cocaine. But at least they're putting it back into the, the economy. But I'll tell you something, if you, if you gave that money to middle-class people, they'd just put it with their ices, wouldn't they? So, you know, there's an argument, at least working-class people spend. And Labour, you know, they've been dining out on this fucking windfall tax thing for ages. And suddenly, oh, they, they don't have anything else to say. That's the problem, isn't it? People still don't know exactly who the Labour Party are. And there was an interview with um, with Rachel Reeves on uh, Times Radio. And uh, they said, OK, right, now the government have taken on board. Just so that's a win for you with the windfall tax. What, what's next in terms of big ideas? And she went, um, do you, yeah, we've got, we got loads of... I mean, of course, you wouldn't think that we'd just have one idea. Just, yeah, if you go to the website and just search, like, Labour ideas, I thought, oh, my God, like, this is what I find incredible about parties the both the main parties is just strategically you have to know that's the next question right okay the windfall tax is done what else you got and she had nothing and i'm sure they'll come up with something eventually but they should have had something straight away to talk about and you know equally some of i think the tories you know they had to do some some stuff to help economically um they clearly want good news stories i mean all this imperial measurement stuff i do find that i do find that a bit insulting like they go all right let's give the brexit lot something i go yeah all pints pint, yeah go yeah we're sort of some of that stuff has never really gone away i understand that you know on the patron only episode david price made the point that there is an implication for traders here but i just i just think that there are just so many bigger things it's like you know when someone says oh you know they think oh well, that's your what you're interested in it's like when you're your, your nan and granddad will buy you a birthday card and they just have some generic image of a footballer on the front. And they go, see, football, you you like that? You go, yeah, but I don't know how excited I'm supposed to get. It's, it's not even a, it's not. It's just a made-up kit. And that's what they do, don't they, with the metric system and the, the brexit stuff. And I can't work out, you know, with, with Labour or the Tories economically. We've... we've because it's a bit like Freaky Friday at the moment, isn't it? It's like a body swap film. Uh, Labour are talking about tax. You know, they're criticising tax rises, so you'd think that they'd eventually cut them. Maybe, maybe not. The Tories are spending loads of money. And you think, who does this work for in the long run? Does this mean that it makes the Tories obsolete? Because people think eventually, well, they're acting like Labour economically. We might as well vote Labour. Or when it comes to the red wall seats, 
do people sort of think, well, if you vote Tories, you can get a bit of, of a more con- conservative vibe, you know, a bit more pro-monarchy, pro-the armed forces and a bit, they might push back a bit harder on some of the more extreme ends of woke thought. Uh, so yeah, you get the best of both worlds. Anyway, that's enough about the politics chat. Uh, let's get into a really lovely chat with Diane Spencer and Kevin Shepherd. So, making their debut on what most people think today, it is husband and wife duo. That's not what you're technically called. Uh, Diane Spencer and Kevin Shepherd, welcome to the show. Hello, mate. Oh, thanks, Jeff. But this is this is a first. I've never introduced more, uh, interviewed more than one person together, and obviously the listeners can't can't see this. But I'm looking at you sitting side by side there, a husband. <laughs> and wife. Do you, yeah. it's, it's 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 a new thing. I mean, I think the listeners will be fascinated by this. But I've almost got to go like local radio DJ, you know, like BBC Radio Cambridge. Like, so how did you guys get together? Was it seeing each other on stage first, or did it happen off stage? No, what happened, happened was in a car park, it, it was at a car park, the most <laughs> Clapham Junction car park, the most romantic of locations. Um, yeah. And I had just come back to the UK and I was like, right, I want to be a comic full time. And it was my uh, first Murph Control gig, which I don't know if your listeners know about Murph Control. Yeah, nationwide chain of gigs, ranging from some very good gigs to, to some cupboards. But, I've done yeah. a gig in a bowling alley while people were still bowling. <laughs> <laughs> Put that out there. High status. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, it was the first, uh, it was the, for me, it was the first time I was sharing a lift with another comedian. Yeah. And uh, so he sent me a text. He said, oh, yeah, meet me in Clapham Junction car park. And we just always, sound, always a bit of a dodgy way to start off with a bloke, isn't it? First, yeah, yeah, different times, Steph, different times. You could behave in a different way then. <laughs> I mean, my knee was squeezed all the way through. I was like, get off, touch the gear stick, come on, change gear. We've been in first for 40 miles, no, so, um. Yeah, so, um, but we... But, That's how we met, but we didn't yeah. get together at that point. No. Because I was still married. Uh, not that there was any nefarious goings on, but... No. No. Nothing happened until I was uh, divorced in 2012. And we, uh, yeah, yeah, it was funny because... And um, actually, Di grabbed my knee in a car. Oh, I totally did. Massively sexually <laughs> harassed him when I realised yeah. he was single. Um, I was like, yeah, what's that? It was like a starting pistol. It was like, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and had you seen in the meantime you'd, you'd obviously seen each other do comedy and stuff like that and gig together and was that part of did that sort of aid the attraction was there things that you saw in each other's comedy that you thought that that, that helped it or was it more based on the offstage thing you know you know it's like Kev these women they see the power of a man on stage say, look at that look at that he's got no clue whatsoever I could probably fix that <laughs> <laughs> And equally, I mean, there is this, this this thing is well known by women working in comedy is a lot of blokes are quite intimidated by funny women. So, you know, blokes after a gig will quite often get, well, I mean, this hasn't happened to me for a long time, but some level of interest. But uh, but but men tend to be a bit more sort of uh, uh, suspicious in a way of, of funny women. Is that is that fair, Diane? Um, that's not been my experience. Um, my experience is uh, in gigs in general, 
is that uh, they like coming up to you and they like telling you that you're funny and they and then they oh. like sharing jokes and they like sort of hmm. getting in your space a bit. They that that's been my experience. I I I but then again, my on stage sort of act, I wouldn't say I'm a I'm an intimidating person anyway. But I mean, in terms of like kind of offers or blokes like asking you out and stuff like that. That I mean, that should I don't get asked out after comedy gigs at all. Like never, ever, ever. Like um, that I'll I'll get like a oh. I was uh, surprisingly impressed. And I'm like, Thank you, sir. <laughs> you doth have a good day. Um, yeah, so that's what I get. But no, it was, I knew, uh, I was about to say something rude about sex. Is that all right? Well, yeah, you say something rude about sex, babe. Go for it. Well, I was going to say that I had a sneaking suspicion that Kev was very good at sex because uh, he um, did this routine where uh, he was pretending to be bad at sex because it was part of the joke. And I respected him on two levels for that. Because one, I respected the fact that he wasn't trying to show off that he was good at sex. And two, I respected the fact that he made himself look bad at sex to make the joke work. And I was like, mm. I like that. That's good. Well, now I'm just bad at sex. <laughs> bad at sex. <laughs> <laughs> there is a, an element of reverse psychology in, in routines because, you know, if you have a routine where you sort of in some way insinuate something good about yourself as a bloke, you then have to undercut it. Like if you had a routine that suggested that you were reasonably well endowed, you then have to make a joke that you weren't. And then it's almost like the double bluff for women. They then have to work out, is he confident enough to, to say that, you know, is he confident enough within himself? You know, it's almost like the sports car thing, isn't it? Has he got a sports car? Cause he's just really rich. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> or, or is it cause he's got nothing else? <laughs> Well, we saw some rich people at the weekend, and there are a lot of those people uh, look like they don't, they're not rich at all. They'll turn up in a bang out, they've got holes in their jeans because they're yeah. thrifty. Yeah, thrifty millionaires. They're the people who sort of use the same tea bag six times, and they've got, yeah, billions in the bank just because they're this, tight. This is what I was saying uh, just in, in the sort of intro to the show about Rishi's recent measure. Rishi's recent. That's almost like a tongue. Rishi's recent measures. Um, he your 400 quid then. <laughs> well, he, I mean, the point is, is if you're a lot of people have sort of said, well, you give it to my, give that sort of money to people on low incomes and they, they're going to sort of spunk it very quickly. And that, there's possibly some truth in that. I don't know. But at least they will spend it. Uh, but if you gave that to middle class people, that is that's college fund, isn't it? The, the yeah, economy is not seeing any benefit of yeah, that. And then they'll piss it up the wall when they're at university. So same thing, same thing. Just delayed economic uh, positives. Yeah. You, you, you Kev, I always thought are you are you South London originally. No, I'm originally from a place called Bognor Regis, but I've always oh, wow. lived. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty horrific, pretty horrific seaside town. Why are you? My wife is now looking at me like I've said something horrible. Because I grew up near Yeovil. Oh yeah, that is shocking too. <laughs> this is what brought you together. You had shared, you had, you had shared sort of traumatized experience yeah, in yeah. towns. Where are you from? Too many yeah. nail bars and kebab shops. I think that's normally a sign, isn't it? Oh, I um, wish but... we had nail bars in Yeovil. That would be amazing. Well, I, I suppose nail bars are like the modern, the modern thing of of, of a kite quite a working class area, aren't they? I remember I was staying at a hotel recently, I looked out and it was just, you know, like the background of a cartoon where it's like a repeating sort of background and it was just nail bar, kebab shop, bookies, uh, nail bar, kebab shop, bookies. But people people will spend that money. So would you class your, your sort of upbringing as working class, Kev? 
Uh, absolutely, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, there, I've, I live, my, um, my parents got four kids, me included. Uh, so we all shared bedrooms. I mean, my sister got her own bedroom because obviously she's a girl, but the three of mm. us boys shared a bedroom for a long time. So there was a lot of, um, a lot of tear ups and, um, and I'm a, what Zed, am I a Z, a Gen Z? I believe I'm a Gen Z. Yeah, you're not a millennial, babe. So that means that obviously my, both my parents worked and we sort of looked after ourselves from the time we got home from school to the yeah. time we got home from work. Uh, oh, la- latchkey kids, that was an old concept, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Latchkey kids, the, the, it was a new thing that kids would be given keys to the house at a young age because mums were selfishly working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thinking. mum had to work, that's the point. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Similar position, and and the and I remember the, the advent of frozen foods. Like so, before Iceland, there was B jams. A lot of people have forgotten this now. Look at this. Do you remember B jams, babe? No, I actually don't. <laughs> See, you got yourself a younger woman there. That's the sign. <laughs> Is if there's a defunct supermarket chain, then you've definitely got that. She doesn't know, then you've got yourself a younger woman. But but yeah, there was because women, women were having it like women were having to work, but also blokes being blokes in the eighties weren't sort of going. Well, let's adjust the level of work that we put in in the house. They're going. Let's keep it exactly the same. Yep. And and so yeah, I mean, I, I to this day I've got a love of of oven meals. You know, anything where it can all be done on one tray in an oven, love it. I'll tell you what, his mum is incredible uh, at catering for large groups because yeah. obviously he's got all his siblings and they've all got families and there's kids everywhere and <laughs> dogs and everything. Uh, mm. But Katie, his mum, she's she'll she sort of does it just lots of trays lots of pots trays pots and then suddenly you've got this like huge incredible meal for for 15 people and there'll still be enough left over for another five people Mm. and then Mm. she'll be like you've not eaten enough and we're like we really have yeah that's (laughs) i think that's a that is a throwback from being brought up in a working class family is now that they've got a little bit more money there's always too much food Whereas when we were yeah. younger, there was just enough food and it was like a little bit of a bun fight to get all the food that you can, which is why she still cooks in the same way. She still cooks in this massive way because mm. everything would run out. Mm. But now... Yeah, I think that, that that sort of trauma... My dad, he was brought up um, that rationing was still around when he was a kid. So he, and like a lot of men of his generation, had a weird relationship with butter in that he could never get over the fact he could just have butter. And he would put it on. It's so thick. Like my, my wife, when she first met him, she used to marvel at it because he it looked like cheese. That was how thick. <laughs> put your finger in it. <laughs> yeah. My parents are from a working class, um, quite a poor area of Worcester. And uh, my dad, he like will butter both sides of the bread, if that makes sense. Like if he's going to put it in a sandwich toaster. And the first time he sort of gave Kev a sandwich or or something, he'll put butter on burgers, butter in hot dogs. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. It's great. (laughs) No, I don't. Yeah, I I go for quite a lot of sauce. Because Dye is clearly middle class. I mean... Oh yeah, you're 100 middle class, and I, well, that's because my parents sort of gave me that yeah, opportunity. Yeah, they made good. Yeah, they made good, but yeah, they put butter on anything. Yeah. Hot dog rolls, <laughs> burger rolls. You're like, 
You're putting a burger in there. Why, why do we need butter on both sides? And then... Well, this is a debate. I think people need to email in what most people think, uk at gmail.com, because this might be a thing where I don't know if I'm out of, out of step. I mean, I like to indulge myself with food, but... But yeah, I mean, it, it, look, it doesn't sound like a bad thing. The best way to figure it out is, right, so you're in, you, as, a, as a 10-year-old Jeff, right, you're in the kitchen mm. and your mum comes in and catches you putting butter in your hot dog before you eat it. What happens in your house? They, yeah, no, that's, no, I don't think that's playing out well. But my mum eats <laughs> a strange thing. <laughs> I, 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 a strange thing with my mum where she was, she genuinely morally judged people that had sugar in tea. Um, this, but it's a really odd thing, like it was some sort of satanic ritual. Uh, but she she would have like one in coffee, but with tea. And then so when my wife, when my mum first met my wife, and they got on really well straight away. But I remember um, my mum said to to Emma, she said, um, "How do you have your tea, love?" And she went, "Oh, just one sugar." And my mum was like. I'll suck it up for now. <laughs> <laughs> this one's not staying. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. No, no, but she she liked her enough that she overcame yeah. it. But I never I never really found out what the, the sort of moral basis for that. But then, you know, mums don't have to explain themselves really, do they? They can have they can think mad shit and, and you sort of have to <laughs> go along with it. <laughs> yeah, well so we're such a I mean such a that's one thing I suppose about about, you know, feminism and there's obviously there's been a wave of it over the last few years, is that is you understand it in the public domain, but for, I think for a lot of working class people, the idea that, that sort of women weren't powerful in a localised sense was always a bit of a strange thing because you sort of think the whole family seemed to walk to the beat of that drum, you know. Is, is, is that how it was in your household, Diane? Uh, in, our, in my household, it was kind of... I think my household is a little bit of a, a, a different sort of kettle of fish. Universe. It's, yeah. <laughs> My um, my dad definitely has a very wry sense of humour and a temper. And my mum is very, um, she's lovely, abstract, surreal. Yeah. Um, she's the walking embodiment of a Salvador Dali painting. Yeah, I, I mean, but I think that Kev sort of uh, definitely um, has more in common because you always told me that if you lot got in trouble... It was never your dad you were worried no, about. No, absolutely. Like Jeff says, my mum was the most terrifying. My mum was so terrifying, other people were scared of my mum. All of my yeah, friends yeah. were scared of my mum. All of our relatives, kids were scared, more scared people of my mum. People were only scared of my mum if they thought she was going to, like, involve them in one of her projects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't so you get... we wearing this and we'll be clapping this yeah, and we'll be singing yeah, yeah. that. Have you about doing it but now we all wear antlers and it's like what that's so funny like and it's so funny kev like you say the idea of the notorious working class mother that's got a rep like some sort of gangland boss yeah yeah yeah. like if if my mum fitted into that she would have been like the consigliere because she was quite fearsome in her own way but she knew how to navigate the benefit system and everything. And she knew people had to know their rights. That was her thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so she would help people with, and it wasn't, wasn't like to fiddle the benefits, but if, if people weren't like 
smart enough, so I guess it sounds brutal to say, but in some cases to just work out what they're entitled to. Yeah. My mum would go storming up the council offices all the time. Oh, the council. <laughs> go up the council. Yeah. So well, she would take there. I mean, I mentioned it uh, in the book. This is what people do once about a book. I mentioned this in the book. But, um, the, the, she used to, <laughs> still flogging it. Um, but she she had this this flask, and she would she would like she would have a full drink, and that was her sign when she went up to council was that that she was going to sit there for a while. Oh, so it was like a psychological thing with them. And so, yeah, she was. She would definitely be like, yeah, Jan, Jan uh, paperwork Jan. You know, she'd have like some sort of, she'd be known for that. But she could, I mean, because she wasn't like a, aggressive, but like she was so fiercely intelligent. I think people were worried about that aspect of her. Mm. For the same, I mean, until I was probably about 25, if I ever wanted to write a letter, I'd always go to my mum because she'd do the same thing as your mum. She'd always be that mm. kind of, if you have to communicate in a formal fashion, she was very good at that. Yeah. She knows exactly what to say, when to say it, and how to write it. So even when I um even when I was 25, when I wanted to leave my jobs and stuff, I'd still go to mum. How do I what, what happens here? My sister used to get my mum to phone in sickies for until way too late in life. Wow. And I it, you know, it's one of those things that you find out in a family setting that you're just like, what? And, what? Still? and you go. How long has this been going on? Like one of those weird things. <laughs> I, I, I found out a, a really funny one recently about a pal of mine. So there was like three brothers and sisters and it turned out the mum had still been given the youngest son pocket money till he was in his sort of like late 20s, but none of the other kids have been getting it. I mean, that sort of shit could blow a family yeah, wide yeah. open, right? Yeah, yeah. Candle. That's Christmas ruined. What most people think. Um, you, I mean, one of the things I suppose people often wonder about, you know, they say to comics is, is oh, I bet, you know, I bet you're hilarious at home. And obviously very few of us are. But I suppose when you've got the comic mindset, well, I mean, I speak, I, I, my wife would report I'm not hilarious. I save it all for the stage. Um, <laughs> I don't waste a drop is probably how she'd put it. Um, but you guys, one thing that does come out, I think, is when you're watching telly uh, as a couple. You know, one of the great things about... A loving marriage is that is that you, if you just hate the same people in a reality show and stuff. Do, do you find that you you you'll commentate and goggle box it a little bit? Um, yeah, constantly. One of our favourite things to do is watch something naff, or we'll watch something in good faith, and we'll think, right, this is going to be good. Let's go for it, and we'll watch it. And then at the end, when it suddenly rolls to credits, we'll both just go. Boom. <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> so we, like that. <laughs> me, me and my son, I think like our cynicism, our, our son's starting to pick up on it. So when we watch like, when we watch, I mean, this is really brutal, but when we watch like Britain's Got Talent together, what we'll see is a, an audition and it'll be like, it'll be like people that you're supposed to love, right? So it'll be kids with special needs or something. And then just to be cynical, after they sing the first note, we'll go, and make yeah. the noise. <laughs> You've got to do that halfway through the story about them getting over cancer. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so after the last batch of chemotherapy. <laughs> <laughs> but you, then you think, my God, like he, I mean, one of the, in a way, the fortunate thing is I don't think that he likes that running joke. I think he judges us quite profoundly on a moral oh, basis wow. for it. He's yeah. he's very like, um, he doesn't like swearing and stuff like that. Um it's really weird. He instinctively, I think he's just a better person than, than me and my wife. But <laughs> but we but we despite our best efforts, he's turned out all right. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's. He, I think he. Re- I told him something the other day, and this is the first time I'm mentioning this on the podcast. So there was a pitch invasion at one of the games and he was like, God, this is really bad. I went, oh, I ran on the pitch once and he just looked at me and I just instantly regretted saying it. <laughs> You're a constant disappointment to me, Father. But yeah, going back to the TV thing, uh, one of the things that uh, uh, we like to do is when we see like an actor or an actress doing what is pretty much porn, like because I yeah. have an issue with this because I like... I, I do acting and sometimes you watch what they're doing and you go, how is that different from something you'd see on Pornhub or OnlyFans? But when we see like someone... I mean, to, I could explain that to you, but... Well, the penetration, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> the penetration and the budget. Yeah, I know. Oh, trust me, I'm not jacking the lighting. Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> You're not American, darling. You don't jack off, you wank. So, Thanks, <laughs> fair, so, fair point. In this week of all weeks, Jubilee week, come on, we'll have no jacket. Yeah. On, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So when we see some actress like take her top off or something, or we see, are we like to go, Mom, I've got an acting job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's a bit part. <laughs> yeah, somewhere that, that actress has gone, she's auditioned for it, she's had to go through the audition process, she's told all the mates. I'm in a series on Amazon Prime or Netflix. And then she's on it for two seconds. She whips her top off. She's a stripper. That's it. That's it. That's it. Well, I mean, there is that thing, and it's a credibility issue where when they ask them about sex scenes and they go, uh, it's the least sexy thing in the world ever. And I, I understand, I think that quite often from the woman's point of view, that might be the case. But I do think with blokes, I'm like, sorry, blokes are just blokes. So there's going to be some sort of gratification or titillation out of that. And they go, oh, they go like, they say things like, oh, there's a whole crew around, there's a lighting rig. You go, have you met penises? They, oh, they've, they've got a unique ability to ignore context. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, it was awful. Yeah, just having that that starlet bouncing up and down for a while. I mean, oh God, I just can't tell. I go, look, I'm not, I'm not saying it was like the best experience, and that must be, that must be a tricky thing, you know, in couples. I think it might be easier for the woman to say because women are, yeah, I think like sort of because uh, it's getting more in depth than I, I really wanted it to. But like sexual arousal, <laughs> what I like is has gone very quiet in that. Come on, tell me. About yeah, it. yeah. Suddenly, I'm speaking to a couple here, and this feels. Oh, but, but yeah, I think. <laughs> but I think women are it's a more complicated thing as, as men know the courtship everything is slightly more complicated for women whereas I just think blokes are a bit more basic so next time you see that male actor in an interview go yeah right, right. I'm, I mean that's something I probably shouldn't say in front of my son you know when when there's an interview <laughs> with Tom Cruise goes shut up Tom you fucking loved it mate um, <laughs> Okay, just interrupting the chat there with Kev and Diane. How nice are Kev and Diane? It just feels like I've been for a, a dinner party. Such a nice couple, man. Such interesting things to say about comedy, and we'll be getting more of that uh, as the chat goes on. Obviously, now the tour's finished, I, I, I don't have anything to hype. I'm not going to be asking about weird place names and whether or not they exist. Uh, just to say that I am going to be at the Edinburgh Fringe if you're going to be up there with I Blame the Parents. I'm doing that 12th to the 28th of August. And obviously, uh, the book... Uh, where did I go right is still available on paperback and as I've been saying at the shows is is one of the things you can do is if you've already bought it just buy it again pity purchase is what I'm calling it and um, and then just give it to your most lefty friend but tell them that at the end I become left wing again obviously I don't but think how long they'll stick with it before they realise they've been tricked 
That's got, that's got to be worth eight quid or whatever it's on for. Anyway, let's get back to the chat with Kevin Diane. And speaking of uh, uh, telly, obviously, Diane, you've been doing quite a bit recently with uh, yeah. the old GB News, been doing great things on that. And um, and the comedy's been doing really well on the channel, hasn't it? It compares yeah. really well to other stuff. It's really exciting to be part of something so new and something that's still a bit like finding its feet because everybody's really excited to make new programs and new content. And what I love is that they, they have hired a lot of comedians like so the comedians mm. do the press preview show every night um which puts a lighter spin on the news you know because obviously you can watch a lot of press preview shows where you have like uh journalists and mps and they're sort of very serious and they're talking about the issues of the day that are coming up in the next morning but instead mm. we'll sort of take it down a silly path as best we can and then they've um started making uh, a panel show uh called the ministry of offense which is really good and then and they have the comedians for presenters like uh i, I know that mark dolan's got more of a history of um formal presenting yeah. radio and things mm -hmm. like that but he he still does comedy and um andrew doyle does comedy so yeah there's a lot it's really it's really great and what's fun is because it is so new we sort of we're still in that like experimental mucking about sort of face mm. so we have little chats before we're about to come on and we go should we get a cake should we get a cake and show boris what the difference between a party is and it isn't and so sort of we one time we got a little cake and we held it and we went look boris this is a party and then we lowered the cake beneath the desk now we're not in a party like we're being like <laughs> really patronizing and silly but it's sort of because everything's a bit looser because it's I mean, that not formed into a corporate mess yet <laughs> No, I mean, it, yeah, being being given space to kind of mess about like that. I mean, one of the things that I think that people seem to have missed in the comedy industry is that there was a lot of talk about, you know, getting left and right voices on things and on terrestrial television. And actually, what's happened is there's less topical stuff on telly. So if you look at 8 out of 10, Cats has gone, uh, MASH went to Dave, uh, uh, Mock the Week hasn't been back for a series this, this year, so who knows what's happening with that. So effectively, I think broadcasters or production companies have sort of gone... Uh, you know what, it's probably not worth the arse ache. And fair play, in, in a lot of cases it isn't. So I think, you know, you guys are pioneering. I think there's going to be more comedy in contexts like this. Because if you want to do topical humour now, actually, a news channel is like a, is a really is a really good place to do that, you know, and be giving your head. And, and you mentioned that, um, obviously, it was a joke against Boris. How have you found it, this perception, you know, the way that GB News or comedy on it's perceived is that you're just going to go out there and somehow make jokes out of agreeing with... I don't know, fascism or something. I mean, have you had a lot of that weird misconceptions? Yeah, loads, loads. And so um, you have, I mean, what I've mainly received personally is people writing their swan songs to me on Twitter and they hmm. go, oh, GB News, unsubscribe. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, big namaste, live your best life. I'm like, I don't care. Um, yeah, other people have received, obviously we get called right wing, we get called left wing, people will tune into a programme, they'll watch you for two minutes and they'll write you and go, Ugh, who is this right wing harlot, she's a fascist, and then like somebody else will write in and they'll go, oh this left wing idiot doesn't know what she's talking about, and so these people will sort of just pile in. Sadly, the thing that they seem to have in common is that nobody thinks I know what I'm talking about. 
<laughs> you, you pulled them to get together. See, that's how you create agreement in the no man's land of this public opinion. No You're building the bridge, babe. You're building the bridge. Yeah, they're all going to come together. No, but I think that that is, and increasingly I find myself in that place of people from both sides accuse you of being the other. And you sort of think, well, maybe I'm doing my job properly. Um, is there been, obviously, in the first, when it launched and stuff, was, was there been any, any issues with other comics or stuff or, like, you know, balking at the idea of you doing stuff for the channel? So I wasn't there at the initial outset, like the launch, like I started mm. watching uh, GB News because I was curious because I was like, oh, my gosh, they're getting comedians on. So I started watching it and I thought, this is good. This is fun. This is I mean, yes, I don't like I've never gone to a comedy club and agreed with everything all the com comedians have said anyway. So yeah. um there was nothing different for me and to be honest with you after brexit like i did one of the perhaps most foolish things you could do in social media terms during brexit i wrote a facebook post appealing for calm and i remember I this i remember this. i thought it was it was very brave and it needed to be it needs to be said you were basically uh, dealing in the revolutionary angle that perhaps it was a democratic vote and probably we should honor that in some way i mean fucking yeah. out there what were you thinking oh, I know. It's, it's weird right i actually came i believe i even wrote the thing that really tipped some people over the edge is when i said can we not say that all old white people are racist because that's not true and yeah. when yeah. that happened and just all the posts appeared and I had people that I thought were my friends like people who have come around my house and I've mm. cooked lunch for suddenly turning against me telling me that I'm um telling me I never you're I never knew you were right wing how can you be so stupid uh why racist and all of this wasn't all bad some people were offering you work for a right wing yes suddenly people are like oh, they need they need a uh, they need a, a leave voter a right. Everybody assumed they knew how I was voting. They were like, I need. Yeah. They need a leave voting right winger. Blah, blah blah blah, and all of this. And when that happened, that was like, that was such a sort of a social knock. Mm, but what mm, it did mm. was it knocked the little bit of husk off that is you should. It's the little bit of husk that's like, do I care what these people think? And if people are going to react like that, do I want to respect their opinion? If they can't behave in a civilised way, if they can't look at me and read what I've written, if they have to force all of their ideas onto what I've mm. put, it, are they really worth knowing anyway? And then, um, yeah, so so that, that was like the first hint. And plus, I've had a YouTube channel for years, so I'm used to just random people on the internet who are bored trying to troll me. Like... It's yeah. So so when GB when I started GB News, um, I've actually more heard it from other comics. Like so so other comics doing GB News have said, oh this person this comedian's written this this comedian's written that, and apparently people are slagging it off. And I'm like, well weirdly enough, I've I've stopped socialising with those people probably because they all blocked me during Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Kev, it must be like. Because I can remember when, when my missus, when I was getting slated on Facebook all the time, you know, it, she used to go into a rage. That must have been a, a tricky thing for you to just watch yeah, unfold. I mean, uh, as, a, as a, an aforementioned working class blokes, there are ways we deal with people slagging off our birds. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very difficult when you have to write because I only type with one finger, so it's very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> it is difficult. And sometimes, I mean, even, I mean, YouTube, I've I've gone through the YouTube answers before. If there's been like some of the jokes that Dice says can elicit a certain reaction from a certain type of idiot. So I've literally had to go, we've got to points where she's gone, look, can you just go through, filter out all of this kind of stuff and I'll respond to everything else. Just because, yeah. like, because some, sometimes I'm water off a duck's back and like any human being, sometimes I'm in a bit of a delicate state, but I want to just sort mm. of clean it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's and that I find that I find a bit tricky, and it's knowing when to step in and when to say, "It's all right. She's got this. She's got this. She's got this. She's got this." Well, maybe not today. Do you know what I mean? So it feels a bit weird, and it is what I find really frustrating more than anything are the people that come with that attitude. Who is this comic? Who is this? Co- I ain't heard of this person. I know. Yeah. I yeah. Heard of this- Who? <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? Yeah. Are you a comic? I don't know what you are. I and mean, it's just the notion that people aren't famous unless you know who they are <laughs> yeah, yeah, is ridiculous. Yeah. And the fact that you've now Googled this woman and commented, you know a lot more about her than you did a minute ago. So that... Well, that... a lot of it is about trying to take the status, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like it's yeah. when people... Even sometimes the way that people tell you they've enjoyed your stuff. You know what, mate? You're actually pretty funny, mate. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> They say stuff like, I'll give you that. You're like, you ain't giving me nothing, mate. My talent gives me that. Yeah. <laughs> I got the gig through someone else, actually. You have no, you have no, you have no authority here at all. But, um, it helps you at the gym, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. If if there's been, there was a, a particular sort of, there was a row on Twitter recently. About uh, Nazanin Zagari Radcliffe. Yeah, and I just hmm. said. I I'm said, naming all of these. Yeah, yeah. I said. <laughs> yes. And we, I, I was frustrated by this because it was, it was a lot of, it was who was it? Victoria Corrin was sort of slagging off Dive for the way she laughed and the fact that she checked her notes while doing a live. So this was, I mean, we mentioned just to give a recap to the listeners. So there's a joke that Leo made about uh, Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe's uh, surname, and then yeah, the Victoria Corrin Mitchell. Obviously, to a lot of followers, she mentioned both Leo's joke and uh, and made a, a cutting remark about yourself. And- yeah, yeah. And then some other people piled on. And I mean Mark Steele. Mark Steele piled on and it was just a bit ah oh, We it can we can make, swear, can't we? Well, it's too late. I've already done it. All right, right. Twice. No, no, Maybe more. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He, he called me you a can. little pair of useless fuckwits. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah but what that meant is for the next week, every time I was in the gym struggling to lift something up. Yeah. In the back of my head, I just hear the word "fuck with, fuck with, fuck with," and I can just push something a little bit further, yeah, yeah. lift something up again, run a bit faster. You know, it's become a thing in comedy of comedians going for each other, but for a long time that wasn't that wasn't the case, and then it's all become a bit East Coast West Coast, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> you, I mean, it'd be the lamest drive-bys ever, wouldn't it? Like a drive-by put down by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by James A. Castor and Ricky Gervais, there'd be oh, there's been another <laughs> savage drive by pieing. Um, I yeah, no, I just think that we are all we. I just always thought we've got more in common by being comics than anything else. But like everything else, I guess in society, uh, you're you're expected to 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 you know toe a line. Um, 
in a, in a way. And I think that I do think what's going to happen with GB News is just people get used to it existing. And, you know, and I think that what will happen with comics is that I think sometimes comics are slow to catch on. Uh, in terms of what happened in their industry, they'll suddenly go, oh, there's not that many places to do topical gear anymore. And 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 just a further, sorry, I'm speaking a lot here, but a further note is obviously what you do on headliners at 11, you're at 11 at night and it's live and unedited. Yeah. Right? And if, if as a performer, you can't make some sort of allowances for the jeopardy that goes with that, it's it's almost being willfully misunderstanding it, right? But yeah, and also they... Um, uh... It is willfully misunderstanding it. And also, yeah, but it's because they wanted to get on their... Um, virtual signaling. The high horse, float. fly their virtual <laughs> flags. How dare yeah. you do this? And uh, even um, Victoria Corrin had to backtrack and and she did it in the most long, boring thread, possibly on Twitter, um, basically saying, actually, now I analyse your joker, grudgingly admit that Leo... Well, she called him racist, Yeah, didn't she, she called him racist, which is... Yeah. A... She, she said he was racist because the language was Farsi. Now, in Iran, 48% of people speak Farsi, or is it 52? It's one of the... So it's, it's pretty much mm. half. So by insinuating that half the country speak a language they don't, that's pretty racist too. It's actually more accurate to say the Belgians speak French than it is to say the Iranians <laughs> speak Farsi. Well, and also, you know what these are like? These lot are like with 48%. They think that's a majority. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was there was room there. I know I've got quite a few Remainers. that I've done a couple of Remainer slams recently. For me, it's like a nostalgia bit. It makes me feel <laughs> the heady days, the heady days of the white heat of the Brexit row. It's still going on, Jeff. Not for most people, it isn't. Um, <laughs> so, Kev, there's a, you know, a thread of what you do is obviously you're a great stand-up, but you also um, um, direct shows. Now... Yeah. A lot of people listening will be surprised to hear that because obviously stand-up in itself is a very simple art form, but it certainly seems it is. But just on a basic level, what, what does that entail? It really entails uh, actually micromanaging full stops and commas. To the... <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, what it is, I think, uh, for me, it's a, it's a long process. So I get involved from concepts. So you think, I want to do a show about such and such. So I'll work with someone and sort of tease ideas out of them like you say you want to do this but have you thought about this what about this and then we'll slowly craft a show we'll knock it together and we'll make sure that it goes in an order the, the order's got to be right the arc's got to be right and then we'll just micromanage their material but what I really love about it is nobody works in the same way like I mean when you write stand-up Jeff do you write it down on a bit of paper well, it's weird because when I write for other people, I, I, I'm like very structured. I write for a TV show. I write, I, like you say, micromanage, all that stuff. But for me, it's just literally an idea will strike me as funny. I'll carry it around in my head for a while, try and get the balls to just say it on stage and just test whether there's a reaction. And I can never tell you, really. It would be a long time before I actually write out scripts for anything. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just a very nebulous process. to be. But what's, what I find interesting about it is, like, you work in that way, whereas I've had... Uh, notes given to me in crayon people have given me stuff that's literally written in crayon <laughs> like a set list and but what I loved about that is the end goal for all of these all of these processes everybody works differently but the end goal is the same they want to make people laugh and they all get there they all get there and we work and it's really helped me personally um, relax about my writing process because I don't tend to mm. write things down I always work better if I have it in my head carry it around in my head like you do but yeah. then do it on stage, 
and then sort of through trial and error i'll do it that way and work it around like that whereas some people mm. have to write it down some people can't like die has to write everything mm. she writes everything before she says it like and in a script yeah i mean it, it it's some people just go for beats don't they they go for like sort of a, a, a bullet points and stuff like that is it hard like have you ever been when directing a show like because obviously we know it, again this will be a tricky concept but there's some stuff that will get a laugh but maybe shouldn't be there is have you ever been in that position where you go that works but it shouldn't be in the show sort of thing. How how delicate, I guess what I'm saying is how delicate do you have to be with dealing with one of the most delicate artistic mindsets? Uh, well, it depends. Some people are really resilient. Um, he won't mind me mentioning him, uh, Tom Bins. Tom Bins. He's a guy that does uh, Ivan Brackenbury. Ivan Brackenbury, uh, Ian de Montford, another. But he he is so ruthless that I'd actually, in some instances, have to argue for him to keep saying something. Right, it didn't work. It's gone. Didn't work. It's gone. And they'll have something to replace it. But I'm, you're you're constantly fighting. You've got this in my mind. I've got a show that's complete, and he's taking bits away because he doesn't think they're strong enough. And I'm thinking, yeah, but maybe if we just gave it a couple more goes. Mm. No, in his case, it's not difficult at all. But some people, like for example, if it's their first Edinburgh, they'll have twenty minutes of their stand up, and another thirty minutes of the show. And they're yeah. trying to mash them together because they haven't got that much stuff. So you're thinking, oh, that shouldn't... There's 20 minutes that theoretically shouldn't be in this show at all. Mm. That's stuff you've been doing and it's not to do with your show. So you have to sort of wean them off gradually. And they, they keep these jokes in as like a little safety raft to go from one piece to the other. So then yeah. you have to be a bit more delicate. But I uh, wouldn't describe myself as that delicate. Yeah, but just to say one thing about his, like, about him as a director as something that I think is really good because I've I've spoken to other people who have directed before and they're always a little bit curious like they go oh mm. uh, so Kev started directing uh, now you know I do that I do that so well uh, what does Kev charge and I'm like oh, yeah, yeah jog on um yeah. Like <laughs> 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 so um uh, but what what he's very good at is because stand-up is so different because we're not like, I mean, we're a little bit like music and then we have some different genres that you can sort of mm. recognise. You know, you've got people who are definitely whimsy, people who are definitely sort of edgelords. You've got people who like like to stick with the topical, but people don't necessarily group us that way. Like the public doesn't do that. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, whimsy, topical, edgelords. I mean, that'd be a, I mean, that sounds now like an improv troupe that would be really shit. <laughs> we're, the, we're the whimsy, topical, edgelords. <laughs> There's even a, they've set up a charity so working class people, because that's what I'm genuinely worried about. The fact mm. that the fringe is so expensive. How is a working class comic going to get to the fringe, put on a show that's going to yeah. elevate them past the fringe? Because the people, the reason we only go to the, we go to the fringe is to progress past where we are. Play the casino. Everybody, yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone, because I mean, if you want to go to the fringe and have a good time, my advice would be to, for you to go do a show you've only just written or a work in progress show and spend a month honing that show as like a, an excellent sort of writing and growing experience. Like a, do it the free fringe and take yeah. the pressure off sort of thing. Like yeah. Rocky montage. Yeah, well, not even mm. Rocky montage. Yeah. Like a, it's literally like a create a very expensive writing retreat. If you treat it yeah. like that and you don't go for the reviews or you don't go to be picked up by a television 
channel or an agent, you're going to have a fantastic time and you will grow as a comic. But the money involved means you cannot do that. Because even if you go to the free fringe, you've got to pay for accommodation, you've got to pay for food, you've lots of earnings, all of these things. So you come away thinking, well, that's great, but I cannot justify spending that much money on just writing some jokes, 40% of which I will no longer use after this date. So yeah, I mean, that is the one big thing is stuff that works in Edinburgh. People, again, like you have that first tour date that you do. I remember I did a two week work in progress in 2019 and I was like, that's the show. All I have to do is do that show. And then at the moment I was in Solihull on a fucking Wednesday and they're going like, they're like, what the fuck are you talking about that? Shit. <laughs> I don't care, mate. Do not give a um, just one thing on the future of comedy. I think because we haven't had uh, Edinburgh for a couple of years, uh, the, the industry often, they go up there, don't they? And they, they want the next new thing, the next young talent and stuff like that. One of the things that I've wondered now is because a lot of the big comedy shows on telly don't really get audience now these days. You know, like if once upon a time, you could put people on a couple of shows and like seven million people would have seen who they were. Now you'd have to do seven or to ten shows. You know what I mean? Is it is it going to be harder for them to break new people? Because you've got that, that range of millennial comics that are household names like A. Caster, uh, uh, Rob Beckett, Catherine, Sarah Pascoe, uh, Romesh. But they, Jeff, Jeff, no, I was a bit after that. I think those guys, they were doing oh, shows yeah. when they still had serious audience. Is, is it going to be harder? Are we? How the hell do you create a household name now? I guess that's the question I'm wondering. These arena-filling acts, which are obviously good for the industry because it puts money into agents and production companies, where's that going to come from? Because if people are breakouts on social media, what they'll have is they'll have a a niche that is very strong and they'll sell loads of tickets on that. But the the wider public might never know who they are. Well, I mean, I would say, is that a problem? If you are, if you've got your audience, your audience love you and you're making a great living from it, you know, do do we need Mm. to have these household names? But I would, I would also say what I've noticed, all those names that you just listed are doing TV presenting in very kind of um, uh, your middle class, your bake-offs, your sewing bees, yeah, uh, they, they they seem to do a lot of TV presenting. So because um, those have bigger audiences, I mean, like you, you think about the quiz shows. Yeah. Uh, you know, a celebrity beat the chaser will get exponentially higher than appearing on a topical show. So I I don't know. I mean, it comes down to what Kev was saying. It's like, um, what what is the goal here? Is the goal to uh, be a household name? well what is the point of that goal or is the goal to be a really good comic so if you want to be a household name then being a tv presenter is is a great idea but then you would need to then tour yourself it kind of i think it all sort of feeds in i think like having multi what i'm trying to say in a very loose way is um i think having multiple fat uh strands feeding into the same name so for example Mm. uh Jeff, you appear, uh, we saw you the other morning on The Right Stuff. So you're on that. So then people sort of have you from that. You do your podcast. So people have you from your podcast. You, you've written a book. So all these strands are feeding into who Jeff Norka is. And it's just possibly about how at some point, maybe all those strands reaching a tipping point, And then you have just that one article that just pushes you over into a nation's consciousness is what I'm guessing it, it, 
would be. And I think one of the things that as you're as you're is saying that, that, I think that's awful. Okay. I think that's really bad because I think I miss what I. I the reason I'm a comic. It's because I wanted to... Finally, we get the domestic I was hoping for. Here we Finally, go. right. Loosen <laughs> <laughs> up, treat all tits. We're having this. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but I think... Uh... <laughs> Treacle tits, yeah, I mean, that was a good one. I love it. I've heard it. Still got it. Six she's years of so, marriage. She's so lying. She's had it way more than that. Um, <laughs> well, I wanted to become a comic because I wanted to be a comic like the first comic I saw was Eddie Murphy, like do Raw. Yeah. I mean, not obviously live, but on the telly. And that sort of stadium comic, famous for being a stadium comic, Richard Pryor, stadium, stadium comic, then an actor. That whole kind of process, I mean, how were they found? They were found in clubs doing mm. gigs they weren't found at a fringe a middle-class arts festival in edinburgh they weren't found off of tiktok they were found in clubs doing and that has yeah. changed if you're found in a club now by an agent they'll get you on a panel show or they'll get you on a thing they'll get you they'll get you stuff beforehand and then you can become that stadium film comic and that is that's the wrong way around yeah, it's reversed the process. And obviously a lot of people, you know, with their core, their core skill. For me, I think stand-up is the thing that I do best, uh, by far, like the best, the thing I'm best at. But the actual opportunities to do that in places, it, that's the, the lead. They go, right, you're good at stand-up. Come back on question time. Like, I'm not knocking it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll, I'll yeah, happily yeah, sit there on yeah, question time. You go, I, I could have a chat. I can tell you what would be better is if you, these 150 people here, is if I was telling them jokes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although that would... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I should do you're right I should do the warm up you just go out there and go hey now then now then now then hey, what do you call a labour councillor uh, in Wakefield <laughs> I don't know but it sounded like it would be a joke didn't it Guys, thanks so much. This has been such such a fun chat, man. Obviously, both of you uh, are dying on the social media stuff. Is there stuff that I should be directing people towards? Ooh, the my, socials. Yeah, my YouTube channel, please. Yeah, so YouTube put, channel. Yeah, if they put Diane Spencer, not Diana, you'll get something else. If you put yeah. <laughs> Diane Spencer comedian into YouTube, yeah, that would be nice. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then Twitter and all the places that you can be found. And, and Kev, obviously, there's a lot of strands of what you do. I saw you've got a website. Is that the place, best place yeah, to go? Go to the website. That's the very best place to go, uh, kevinshepherd.com. Yeah, and he's, that'll lead you to everything else. Yeah. because I've got, got some very niche hobbies, uh, Jeff. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of sim racing and motorsport. They, I'm, I'm glad this came at the end of the chat here because uh, yeah, motorsport, I mean... Honestly, you might as well told me you were a communist, mate. I mean, <laughs> well, we've just had our six-year wedding anniversary, and yeah. we spent it at Thruxton Racecourse watching the British touring cars. That is excellent wifing, because I'm gonna guess, <laughs> I'm gonna guess it wasn't high up the list of stuff. I mean, <laughs> I made sandwiches for two days. It was lovely. We had a great time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks very much to Diane Spencer and Kevin Shepherd. Thanks, Cheers, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, that was the chat with uh, Kevin Shepherd and Diane Spencer. What a lovely! Do you feel? I feel that was nice, right? 
It was a really nice chat. It was funny and it was just really interesting to get into the dynamic about a couple who both work in comedy and what you know what it's like being on GB News and all, some of the bollocks in and around that. But uh, but I think you know Dine's a fantastic comic uh, as is Kev and he does the directing. I look forward to seeing them. Uh, I presume up at the Fringe or roundabout on the circuit. Uh, it just remains for me to do uh, any new reviews. Uh, that we've had. If you leave a five-star review, I will read it out. Uh, this one says, Jeff, this is AJ from Melbourne. Okay, so we really get to do an accent here. Uh, Jeff somehow manages to be topical and funny, conservative and progressive, open-minded and traditional. I'm stuffed if I know how, but he does it. Still not cancelled yet. I mean, the word yet is quite worrying there. Uh, this one is from, this is a, uh, a longer review here, so I'll try and pray see it. I uh, have been meaning to leave a review for ages since I first started listening. Uh, discovered Jeff thanks to a wonderful Emily Dean podcast. I appeared on that. It's worth uh, checking out. He's a terrific mimic. Thank you very much. Uh, he should have his own TV show. I mean, yeah. I, yes, absolutely. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still trying. Uh, but Je- Jeff uh, does hit a lot of subjects on the head. Uh, she's not so fond of the woke and anti-woke stuff. Uh, it is all a bit Twitter for my liking. Yeah, fair enough. I've become conscious of that recently, of just talking about uh, social media like it's the real world. And uh, that survey that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago was my attempt to try and get my head out of that particular arse. Um, and picked up his great book recently, Laughed Out Loud, Keep Up the Great Work. Thank you very much. That was a generous review there. That's what we like, is that you actually had... Uh, criticisms of the podcast, but you still gave me five stars. That's all I ask. <laughs> that's all I ask is that you just give me five stars, whatever. I think that's I think that's reasonable, isn't it? Uh, and of course, if you want to get more content from the podcast, then get on Patreon, search Jeff Norcott or what most people think, and there's always stuff coming there. And uh, look, just just make sure that you fully enjoy the Jubilee weekend. By that, I mean get pissed up, have a bit of blackout, have an argument with a relative. You know what I mean? Take your dog for a drunken walk at 12am with a can on the go. We'll get, get, be seen walking around your neighbourhood late at night with a can of really cheap lager. And that is when you'll know you're fully honoured, Our Majesty Queen Elizabeth. <laughs>